We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We had 99 problems with BK81. If Andre Johnson, in Andre Johnson's defense, he played with terrible quarterbacks from the majority of his career. I, I just don't agree. Just don't agree. I think there's wide receivers that were worse, uh, had worse situations than what Andre Johnson had. In my and, and there's a difference, Ryan, between not having a great quarterback and having a terrible quarterback. And and we yeah. we again we we talk about this all the time. We fall way too much into hyperbole when we're having these conversations. And we go from it's either this extreme or that extreme. And I just don't think that's I don't think that's accurate. And and as you've yeah. very well said, there's been a lot of quarterbacks that have that there's a lot of receivers that have had great success that had worse quarterbacks than what Andre Johnson played with it and with Texas. Or the Texans, excuse me. Andre Johnson was also the always the unquestioned number one receiver on his team yeah. and never had to really share the ball much. But yep. yeah, yep, agree. This is I'm gonna the, the set just if this is how the set this next question is gonna finish Ryan just so I can give it to you beforehand. Yep, Michael Parks. How did Miles Garrett win Defensive Player of the Year over was it over T.J. Watt? Was the second part? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think I think so. We're looking at raw stats is why people are asking this because they're gonna say you know 
TJ Watt had more sacks and probably more tackles for loss. Like the numbers next to each other kind of stack. But when you go on a play by play perspective, I'm pretty sure Miles Garrett had a higher pressure rates. I'm pretty sure he had just like a, a more play by play perspective. He was more efficient football player. And I'll just say this TJ Watt's a great player. Miles Garrett's a great player. I do think that opposing offenses scheme more to stop Miles Garrett than they do to stop TJ Watt, in my opinion. So can I ask why, you a question on that, that, Ryan? Do yeah. you think that it, it, are you saying that because Miles Garrett ha, is just a more dominant player that you have to game plan for, or or more because yes. TJ has a better supporting cast, so it's hard. I think TJ has well, T, I, I think TJ has a better. Supporting I don't know. Cast I'm, I'm truly on the front. Yeah, no, I mean TJ plays next to Cameron Hayward, who is a great player. He plays across from Alex Highsmith, who's one of the most underrated players in the NFL at the other defensive end position. So I think that it's harder to just kind of. I think it's harder to just say we just need to eliminate TJ Watt because then you're putting other guys in one-on-one situations against Cleveland. Like you're constantly rolling your protection to Miles Garrett. You are double teaming him constantly. He's a he's a game record, man. He's a freak show. And I, if you ask me just flat out, who do I think is a more dominant football player? My answer would be Miles Garrett. Yes, it would 100% be Miles Garrett. I think that Miles Garrett has more potential to take over football game, and that's nothing against TJ. TJ is a future Hall of Famer in himself. He's a great football player. But you're asking me why you won Defense Player of the Year? It's because I do think that offenses in uh, generally are doing more to stop Miles Garrett than they are to do stop TJ Watt, in my opinion. So, Ryan, as a follow-up question to this, are you saying basically, and I assume this is what happened, that Miles Garrett did, in fact, win the defensive? Yeah, he won Defensive Player of the Year. Okay. Yep. So what you're basically saying is that you think this one was done the right way, even though you could maybe say, hey, this player might have had more, you know, production in this regard. And and he did. You know, TJ Watt led the NFL in sacks this year. What you're saying is, is that they didn't just get obsessed with numbers. They actually looked at the dominance of the level of play and made the right choice. Is that okay? I I think Miles Garrett was more dominant than TJ Watt was this year. It doesn't mean more productive, but it's a different situation, a different scenario. I mean, yeah, I'll I'll say this uh, and, you know, people can say whatever they want. You know, it's just my opinion, obviously. But if TJ Watt and Miles Garrett were on the same defense in the year 2023, offenses are playing to stop Miles Garrett more than they are TJ Watt, in my opinion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's another Hall of Fame question, Ryan. I'll go ahead and read this one because it's for you. Fighting Mike 87 said, Ryan, what's your Hall of Fame opinion on Robert Mathis, who has even better numbers than Freeney and I believe has the NFL record for sack fumbles? Robert Mathis was just a very – he was a very one-dimensional football player. And I think that when you're talking about Hall of Fame players, I think that the guys needing to go in are the all-around dominant football players. So while Robert Mathis was a great sack artist, and I'm sure he'll eventually get in the Hall of Fame for what he was able to do – I just think he was too one dimensional for me to say like, that's a first ballot or even maybe a second ballot hall of fame or like, it's just, you need to be an all around football player for me personally to say like, that's a no brainer. Robert Mathis is a borderline hall of fame player because yes, he had great sack production. He was really good in that one area of the game, but he was also a very one dimensional pass rusher as well. And he always needed to be kind of the second fiddle to a great pass rusher as well. So I, I I think that he was a very good, very good pass rusher. Good overall player, but was he a great player? I think that's pretty debatable. He also didn't have more sacks than Dwight Freeney. Career career wise. Now he played he didn't play as long, but he had Dwight Freeney had 125 and a half career sacks. Robert Mass had 123. Uh he yeah, and so but he also played twenty-five fewer games than Dwight Freeney as well. So just just point point putting it out there. Yeah, just to clarify, he's a very good player, because, and them together yeah. was awesome because they were just like get after the quarterback. But you were never yeah. lauding Robert Mathis for being a great run defender, for instance, right? Like right. he just it was not his game because he was right. like six two, two hundred thirty pounds. Like he just wasn't ever going to be that guy, you know? Yeah, and and I just think I don't know. I call me crazy, but I just think the NFL needs to be reserved for those kind of guys, not a guy who who was really good in this one area. And put up some numbers, but but wasn't cons- ever considered necessarily a great player, because you know, yes. I, I did watch NFL in more, much more so during Robert Mathis's career than than currently. Like I couldn't tell you the difference in T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett. I just don't watch the NFL. I, I, I watched Robert Mathis. You know, obviously the Broncos played against some of those good Colt teams. He was another guy that you watched. Like I know the numbers were one, but when you watch them play, my opinion, one of the guys, Dwight Freeney, you watched and said that's a great player. The other guy you just watched said he's a pretty good pass rusher, right? There's yeah. a difference to me, and and so you know I know the numbers are are what they are, but the other thing you could ask yourself is did Robert Mathis get some of the production he had because he was playing opposite Dwight Freeney for part of his career? You know what I mean? Those are the things you, you can ask. Yourself. Indianapolis also never really had a great defense when Robert mm-hmm. Mathis was there, and I would say this is like in most years Robert Mathis was maybe the third best defensive player they had because Bob Sanders was dominant when he was playing before he started getting injured. And then Dwight Freeney was obviously a better player in my opinion. So yeah. Gary Brackett even was a better player overall for a couple of years. Yeah. Linebacker. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. And I'm trying to look down like some of the years they had. Yeah. uh, Some of the production that they had in years that he played, but yeah, Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, Bob Sanders, that's some that's some decent players, but yeah, you're correct. They never had like they had a couple teams that had pretty good defenses, but they were never consistently like a great defense. No, back then, 
they got hot the one year when Peyton won his first Super Bowl. They were hot in the playoffs, but it wasn't a great defense, mm-hmm. though. Titus asks, Ryan, is Jack Lang getting close to a commitment date? I thought coming after the out of the junior day, something might be coming up, Titus, but like there just doesn't seem to be any movement there, which is kind of weird. And Jack is taking visits and still doing his recruiting thing. So as of right now, there is no plan for a commitment dates. So could that change? We'll see. But I doesn't feel like he's in a major rush to do so. So we shall see. He's got some good options. I mean, he just got offered by I think Bam and Georgia also both offered. So it's like if Notre Dame doesn't wait for him, he'll have plenty of good options. Yes, he will. That's for sure. Let's see here. Uh, this is an interesting one that I've okay. that I've wanted to get into since we were having a Hall of Fame conversation earlier. Sure. Christopher Galloway, I'm just in today. Have y'all talked about Sterling Sharp? I I remember Sterling for like a five to six year period was as good as you'll find, right? Like he was yeah. incredible for the Packers before the neck injury. I the the conversation is always about like how much time is enough to make that right. right? I mean, cause I would say he was a great player for when he played, but like yeah. five to six years is a very small window. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. a tough conversation there. He played for seven years and he had five 1000 yard seasons, two seasons of over a hundred catches when it wasn't as, as uh prominent Common. as it is yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And, and in his last season is at 29, Ryan, his last season, in the NFL, he had 94 catches for 1119 yards and, and, and 19 touchdowns or 18 touchdowns. So, yeah, to your point, um, yeah, that's the question. Yeah, it's the, it's the like, here's the thing does Terrell Davis make it to the Hall of Fame if he has the same exact regular season numbers? I don't think he does. Part of the reason I think Terrell Davis is a Hall of Famer is because he also was a phenomenal postseason player. I mean, Terrell right. Davis had eight straight games in the postseason with over 100 yards rushing. That, that, that is something you're just like, that's, I mean, that's, he broke John Rickens record, has a Super Bowl MVP. It's the combination of the two. You know, Sandy Koufax didn't pitch very long, but I believe he won at least one World Series, I believe, oh, during his, 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 his tenure. His, his you know? stats for what Sandy yeah. Koufax pitched to are just like dumb. Right. Like, it doesn't even make right. sense. So yeah. it, it, there's a lot of things that factor into that for me. And, and when you look at Shannon Sharp, unfortunately for him, he got hurt right before they really went on that run. And that, yeah. that's hurt him. And, and if you want to talk about a guy playing with bad quarterbacks, I mean, Don for Mikowski. most of his career, he had Don Mikowski and Mike Tomzak were his quarterbacks. Hey man, he had, the, ma- he had the magic man thrown to him. Yeah. Man. You know what you're talking about. He didn't get Brett Favre till 92. Imagine and, if he would have played like five more years with Brett Favre. Yeah, would have been. Yes. Yeah, been oh, well, he would have had a Super Bowl. That's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, because they won a Super Bowl, I think, two years after he had the injury. So, yeah. uh, personally, I think Sterling Sharp is a Hall of Famer. Because even though he played for a short period of time, he was an elite player that that didn't get hurt, didn't stop being good because he just was a flash in the pan. He had a devastating right. injury. But, yeah, man, he right. was... I mean, he was averaging over 100 catches and like 1,300 yards his last few years and had, see, 30, 42 receiving touchdowns in his last three years. And and in his last three years, led the NFL in catches twice, led the NFL in touchdown receptions twice, led the NFL in receiving yards. In seven years, he he led the league in catches three times. That That's... That's pretty good. I, w- I, w- I wouldn't say anything if he goes in because, again, yeah. my main criteria is... Was he a great player? 
And my yeah. answer to Sterling Sharp would be yes, he was a great yeah. player. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're one of those people, I mean, and, and, and was a great player like, like right away. His second year, he had 90 catches for 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns. I mean, he, he went to he South would, Carolina, right? Sterling? Uh, South, Carolina, yes. Right? Yes. He went to South yeah. Carolina. He was, he's Gamecock. And then his brother went to Savannah State. Savannah State. State. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he, you know, he was doing that with Don Mikowski at quarterback in 1989. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, he had a cool nickname, but yep. he, he didn't. He didn't play with great players either. But when you watched him play, Ryan, you're like, that's an elite player. I mean, that was my golden era of NFL, late 80s, 90s. Like, I loved the NFL back then. When you watch Sterling Sharp play, you're like, that guy is one of the best to do it. I mean, he is elite. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you're standing out in an era when there's guys like John, or Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, and you know what I mean? You, right. You're a great player. And he did. He yeah. stood out amongst those greats during that tenure. The so only I, thing bad about Sterling Sharp was his face mask. Uh, that's a conversation yeah. for another day. That face mask was awful. <laughs> Terrible face mask for wide receiver. Um, salty. The Irish moved up from number nine to number seven in the Athletics preseason top 25 versus Bama. Um, as Bama and Washington either move back, Bama or out Washington, should Michigan still be number six? Yeah, I talked a little bit about this when I when I put that article out the other day, Ryan. I, I didn't. I yep. do not think that they should still be six. And the whole premise of like I've said this before: you're the champs until somebody beats you, unless you have a major overhaul. And Michigan is losing a lot from their roster, but also they they lost their head coach, and that's a pretty big loss. I'm not going to like pound on the table and say this is a travesty that Michigan's still number six. Okay, they won the championship, you know, but they lost their head coach. They lost their they're all, they're going to have a new offensive coordinator, even though they didn't lose their offensive coordinator. They lost their defensive coordinator. They lost their defensive line coach. The guys that were primarily responsible for for the, a lot of the success they had are, are gone or are no longer in the positions they have. Like, you know, is Grant Newsom going to be able to do as good of a job coaching the offensive line as Sharon Moore did? Is it going to require Sharon Moore to be more involved? We'll find out. You know what that's going to be, but it's not even just that. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's a huge loss. For Michigan, a huge loss. And you lost JJ McCarthy, you lost Blake Corum, you lost your two best receivers, you lost a lot from your defense. So, no, I don't think Michigan should still be number six, but I also am not going to like spend a whole show saying this is bull crap. And it, uh, fine, and number six, they're defending champs. Okay, we'll find out soon enough. But I, I personally would not have the number six after all the after Jim Harbaugh left. I, I think Jim Harbaugh had a big is a big reason why they were as good as they were and sure. and uh, like it's not the same as like marcus freeman replacing brian kelly because i thought notre dame had a head coach that was holding the program back where jim harbaugh to me just did a phenomenal job these last three seasons getting most out of that program and sure. so yeah I'd, I'd have them lower and they they dropped washington completely out of the top 25 like completely out yeah, i do too it's just wild the off season yeah. that they've had wild That's crazy Move into the Big it Ten, really too. It's not, a, not the yeah. most ideal situation no. to be in if you're uh, – No, no, no. No, I do like Jed Fish, but it's not the best situation to be in right well, now. Well, it's not about Jed Fish, right? I mean, it's – you're starting that roster over, basically. I mean, you're you're just – like Van, Bama loses all these players, and you're like, yeah, it sucks that they lost that guy, but you're going to replace him with some other former top 100 prospect. You know what I mean? Sure. Where Washington – it's like the debate we had with Oregon State, like – People say, well, you know, Notre Dame should get more credit for beating Oregon State because Oregon Notre Dame had a bunch of players out too. And I was like, well, it's not the same though. When when Oregon State loses their top right tackle, 
they're not replacing him with a Charles Jagasaw. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's different. Going from Joe Walt to Charles Jagasaw is a whole lot different than going from the kid that Oregon State had a right tackle to whoever he's, they replaced him with. It's, it's a huge Luaga. difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And and so it's the same thing in Washington. Washington, because Kalen DeBoer had only been there two years, he hadn't had a chance to re- to build the roster up, and he hadn't recruited all that great, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, he, he's walking into a tough situation, man. Very tough situation. We have a two-part question about the women's basketball team, Ryan. Okay, I probably won't have much analysis on this one. Uh, Scott L., I have, I have watched every second of women's hoops this season. I'm very concerned. Hannah's an elite scorer, but her creating offense by herself has kept our other scores from getting into rhythm. Our offensive, our offense disappears for six minute stretches. Our big plays, our bigs play horrible defense and are in foul trouble and a lot. Niel need, uh, plays Hannah and Sonia 38 minutes per game and plays them up 20 in the fourth. Will she fix it? I doubt it. That's well, I don't, I don't know that she can right now, right? I mean, you got to think about the fact that they're missing a lot. Is is Sonia Citron and and Hannah Hidalgo playing 38 minutes a game if they have Olivia Miles and Cass Prosper healthy all year this year? No, they don't. I'm not defending every decision that Coach Ivy has made. Sean and I were talking about this the other day. I, I think she's done – Sean Davis and I were talking about this. I don't think she did a very good job recruiting and developing the bigs. I think she relied way too much on the portal. And last year it worked great. The girl that the girl they got from Texas was great for them last year. But this year they're not as good down low. Maybe they're asking Maddie Westbelt to play like a big and she should be a stretch. I mean, she's good at what she did in Utah, popping out, hitting threes, you know, doing things like that. She's not a traditional big, but she has to play like one. She's not Jessica Shepard. She's not Brianna Turner in, in solid play. Now, they do have the girl coming in next year. I think it's Katie Koval that's coming in, who's like 6'4", like a legit post player, top five national player, she's up for the Naismith Award. That's good, but it can't just be her. You've got to start recruiting the bigs the way you're recruiting guards because nobody in the country has recruited guards, in my opinion, better than Niall Ivey the last couple of years. I mean, you know, Coach Daly's done a great job, but, like, when you go play South Carolina and you go play teams like LSU, you're going to get killed down low. And and to me, you don't have the help around her. But I think part of the thing that you're complaining about with Hannah being an elite scorer, but creating by oh by herself has kept them other others from getting into rhythm. I don't agree with that, Scott. To be honest with you, I, I think that's that's as much out of necessity as anything else. I mean, they went through a stretch this year where they didn't have Sonia Citron playing. She was hurt, and she's still not 100 percent coming back. They haven't had Cass Prosper all year. Emma Rich got hurt. She's out for the year. Olivia Miles is out for the year. So you've had a lot of injuries that have happened on your team this year that have kept you from ever really having your full team on the field on the court at the same time. And I think that that kind of factors into it a little bit as well. So yeah, look, she's got to do a better job, Coach Ivy, in in recruiting more consistently recruiting the post. Because if you think about the the great Notre Dame teams, yes, they had Skylar Diggins, and then of course later Jackie Young and Orika Agumbawale and, and Marina Mabry, but that team won a championship because they also had Jessica Shepard and Brianna Turner down low, and they would bring Maddie's sister off the bench and, and give post minutes. So I, I think in the women's game today, size to me still dominates in a way that you don't see in the men's game. 
because you see such a difference. Like, you know, when South Carolina's putting a six, eight girl on the court and Notre Dame's point guard is five, six, you know, that's like a six foot three guard in the men's game going against the seven, three center. That's a or seven, five center. That's a huge, huge size difference. And the fact that you don't have any bigs that you can drive and dish to down low that can score the way that Jessica Shepard could back in the day or Brianna Turner could or Ruth Riley could uh, back in the day when they won the first title when Coach Ivy was the point guard. I, I do think that matters. I do think she has to do a better job of recruiting and developing post players. I'm hoping that Kate Caval can be – I think it's Caval – can be sort of step one in getting there. Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I think that matters because you have to – you don't have to build the same way South Carolina does, but we saw it this year. Early on, their name was right there because Hannah was doing her thing and Sonia was doing her thing, but eventually South Carolina could slow the game down, make it a half-court game, and there's such a huge difference in size between bigs in the women's game and guards in the women's game in a lot of ways that is just it can really impact the game in the way that the game is played. And I, I think she has to find a balance there. In my opinion, I think Coach Ivy has to find a balance there. It's gonna the, the program's gonna be limited because to to your point, if the guards aren't on, they have no chance of beating a good team. None. Where Arike could have a bad game, or Jackie could have a bad game, and they'd still win and beat good teams because Jess went off, or Brandon Turner had 15 boards and five block shots. Right? I mean, you had that inside-out presence that you just don't have on this team. And then it also takes makes Maddie Westbelt not as consistently good because she has to do something that's not her game. So uh, I, I I think it needs to get fixed. I just don't necessarily go to your degree. You, you only have seven healthy players right now, really. You, you can only give so many minutes when you only have seven, eight healthy players because of injuries. And so I think a lot – some of the stuff you're complaining about, Scott, I understand where you're coming from, but I think some of it's out of necessity because they're so injured. If Emma Rich wasn't hurt, she'd be playing more. If Cass Prosper wasn't hurt, she'd be playing more. And and you'd have a, a you know a six foot one girl that could give you some help down low in certain areas, but you don't have those players. If you had Olivia Miles playing, then then you'd have her playing on the ball, and maybe Hannah playing off guard a little bit more, off the ball a little bit more. You could do more things with it, but you don't have your first team All Conference point guard from last year on the team. Sonia's been banged up all year. You don't have Cass Prosper. You don't have Emma Rich. You kind of understand why the bench is a little limited right now because you just don't have the players. And then you combine that with the fact that she has not recruited the high school post as well as I think she needs to, and hopefully he's starting to. I think all those things have factored in, but they're still a pretty good pretty good basketball team. Last night was disappointing, but they still went on the road and beat UConn not that long ago. They're, they're just not an elite team right now. They're still a pretty good team, and now we need to take her see her take that next step to get there. So we'll see if she can. Bielsfeld Financial Services Incorporated. What's up, JP? JP? Brian, did you enjoy the 20-inch bone-in ribeye at Texas Roadhouse, or did you make a different choice? So we haven't had a chance to go yet. We have uh, been dealing with all this stuff with our house, JP, but we are. I've got it. Matter of fact, I got the gift card right here in my wallet, right in the top of my wallet. We're hoping to go here at some point in time next week. Uh, but I, I, I'll tell you what, JP, I am a... I'm not a huge ribeye fan because I just don't really like a lot of fat throughout the steak, uh, and, and I, I'm, I'm a sirloin guy, so I, I love sirloins, especially the way if you get a nice medium to medium rare sirloin, buddy, I love that. So when I go to Texas Roadhouse, and thank you for that, by the way, I'll, I'll probably just get uh, 
the sirloin and maybe get a kick or ribs to go with it. That's probably what I'll do uh, with your generous gift. So I really appreciate that, buddy. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get my, Ryan, you know me, man, I'm a creature habit, right? I mean, so I just, I know, I know what I like and I'm going to stick with it. All right. We had Irish Gordy now. Who are your favorite Notre Dame players to watch in the NFL now? Favorite Notre Dame players as of right now, I'm a Rams fan. So Kyron Williams is a joy to watch. He had a, obviously a great year for the Rams this year. I love watching Kyle Hamilton because I'm a defensive guy and seeing all the different ways that Baltimore is able to utilize him, both in man coverage and working in the slot and robbing short zones, getting involved in the run game is pretty fun. And I, I think the kind of the old man, I guess, of the group now is Harrison Smith. But I mean, the hitman's still pretty dang good for the Minnesota Vikings. So there'll be a couple yeah. guys. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We have Bobby says, Hey guys, do you think since the recommit the decommitment of CJ May that Marcus Freeman and the boys go after another defensive end? Well, yes, they're going after another defensive end. His yeah. the main priority on the board right now is Damian Shanklin, who's out of Warren Central in yeah. Indianapolis, Indiana. That's the top guy. We also know that there's a couple guys, and if you're on the message board, Bob, you know that there's a couple defense line that Notre Dame is still recruiting, is still kind of you know going after and still making a, a you know just making sure that the board stays intact and making sure that they have a board in general that they're still recruiting from. But it is Damian Shanklin is the top priority on the board currently for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. They recently offered Javion Campbell, who they're going after, Ethan uh, Utley. But those are more guys that are projected Interior to be more guys. inside guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they like where they're at with the last two classes, plus you know uh, Burgess, and then putting all their eggs. Yep. Not putting all their eggs in the Damian Shanklin basket, but like putting their focus is what I mean to say right now on Damian Shanklin. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll see, but I, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a good a good place to be. Here's one, Ryan from Archer four five two. Ryan, who do you think? Uh, I don't even know how you can ask this question without the draft having happening happened yet. But who do you think has the top odds to win Offensive Rookie of the Year next year in the NFL? Would you favor Ohio State to make it three in a row with Marvin Harrison Jr.? I mean, he'll certainly be in the contention, Archer. I mean, I think Brian makes a good point that, it, I mean, it depends on who, you know, who's on what team and everything. But I think the guys that you're going to see, regardless of where they end up, is Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm sure Malik Neighbors will be somewhat high, and then probably Drake May and Jaden Daniels. I'm sure that's probably the top five as far as like guys that are going to be high on the board. Maybe Brock Bowers is in there too, depending on if, you know, if the Los Angeles Chargers or someone like that takes him. But, I think overall, though, that's the top six guys. <laughs> like, that is it right there. It's Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, and Brock Bowers. Like, those are probably the top six guys as far as offense rookie of the year from an early perspective. Marvin Harrison Jr. will certainly have an out- a chance. I mean, he's probably going to be top two to three favored, but we do know that that is a, it's a quarterback driven, um, a, that's a quarterback-driven award for the most part. So I would say that probably the highest odds will be most likely Caleb Williams, depending on where he ends. But, you know, we'll see, obviously. Yep. 
We had Beef Eater ND08. What would Brian's Bo- Bo- Brian Bosworth have been like if he had played for Notre Dame? I have no idea. I, I don't know that I have no idea. I don't know if he would have been able to partake in some of the things that he partook in to be the player he was at Oklahoma. He wouldn't have been able to act like he did at Oklahoma, uh, but he still would have been a pretty good player at Notre Dame. I don't think he would have been the personality that he was. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Probably not the fanfare of what he was at Oklahoma with the mullet and the Mm-mm. style and all that type of stuff. But no, that yeah. stuff wouldn't have flown at Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. And plus he would have spent, I, I think most of his career, if not all of it, I believe also would have been with Terry Faust as the head coach, which okay. let me, let me look at the years. Yeah. He was 84, 85, 86. Only would have had one year with Lou Holtz and uh, Lou Holtz wouldn't have let that stuff fly at all. But yeah, playing for Jerry Faust. I mean, he, he wouldn't have played on very good teams. That's the other thing, you know, so I'm not sure. We have Beef Eater with another one. What blocking scheme were we running with Josh Adams when Josh Adams had that monster year? What are we running now? Well, they ran a lot of zone, read zone, lock zone, stuff like that. Ran a lot of inside zone. And they also ran some compliments off that. They ran some counter. Uh, Josh wasn't a great counter runner, so they didn't run that a ton. Um, At least as the season went on, they did. I think their first long touchdown of the season, I believe, was a counter if I remember correctly, against Temple. It was like second play of the game. Yeah. They ran a counter. I left remember and, that one. Yeah, yeah, and, and he made it run. But like as the season wore on, it was a lot of G-scheme, buck sweep, and counter as compliments to the inside zone. Is, is buck really sweep was good too. Yes, yeah. because he could just plant and go. He Josh wasn't a super elusive guy. He was a one-cut-and-get-vertical guy. And the buck sweep was good to your point where he could just kind of work laterally, plant, and get vertical through a hole and run real fast. Uh, yep. counter wasn't as good as him because it requires a little different type of footwork and it would work against some of the teams that weren't very good, but against the better teams, it wasn't overly effective because he wasn't, he was not a great make a quick cut kind of guy. That was more Dexter was, was really good at that stuff. And, and, uh, yep. and he could make some of those plays, but, uh, and Tony Jones is pretty good at that stuff as well. He had really nimble feet for a bigger guy. Josh was just hit the inside zone and go baby, you know, Get get that perimeter hole on buck sweep and just go, baby, and be fast. And that's what made Josh so good. But yep. he just wasn't a guy that was going to make a whole lot of people miss. Like they they always talk pro football focus always talk about how how many broken tackles he has. Like people be lunging at him, getting like a hitting him in the thigh with their hand, and they'd count that as a broken tackle or a missed tackle. And I'm like, guys, he's not making people miss. You know, he's getting he's getting hit like from the side as they're getting dominated by that O line, and they're counting that as a as a missed forced missed tackle. And I just I never, he was never the kind of guy that I viewed as like a making people miss kind of guy. He was a little bit, a little bit lumbering as a cutter because he was so, so long legged, Ryan. I mean, it just, well, he, did, he had, he had thin lower body too. Yes. He had thin Super lower body. He, he, if you would have told me, if, if I first saw Josh Adams, if you would have told me that he was a safety, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Looks like a safety to me. Doesn't look like a running back necessarily. I mean, he's just, like you said, he's taller longer legs and his legs weren't defined. Like he wasn't like a packed together dude below. So yeah, but he could run, man. He could run like the wind. There's no doubt. We had Riley Bly who says, I keep hearing different parties saying Notre Dame's roster isn't there yet. If motor, if Michigan can win a, sh- a championship, why can't this roster? Number one, 
I think Notre Dame has had rosters that should have competed for championships. Uh, we've said that. The, the, there's been other reasons why. The other thing is we said this before the season, Ryan. This was a this was a year there's no great teams. There were we we said that all offseason. There's no great teams. This is why it was important for Notre Dame to to take advantage of that. So if Notre Dame gets into one of those years where there's no great teams, they have rosters that are capable. I mean, we talked about this last night, Riley. Sean and I talked about this that you know, Notre Dame has a chance if some things can go right and some players play out that, that they do have a team that could make a run th- this year. I, I I don't think that they don't. It's just they don't have a roster that if you see a, a 2021 Georgia pop up or a 2020 Bama pop up or a 2019 LSU pop up or a 2018 Clemson pop up, they don't have the roster to beat that team, but not many people do. And that's why those teams are what they are. But I, Riley, I, it, it, it's been years since I've said, I don't think this team has a roster to compete. I mean, when Notre Dame's had really good teams, I mean, 21, 22, those teams weren't quite there yet. But this year's team, dis- disappointed. This team should have been a playoff contender going into the to, to, to Clemson game and, and coming out of the Clemson game. This team should have been better than it was. There's no doubt. So, but at the same time, I mean – I think Michigan is just a – the culture at Michigan is better, more so than the overall – necessarily the overall roster. Um, yeah. I, I, You know, they're coached better. Let's be honest. They were coached better this year it, 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 across the board at different spots than what difference. Notre Dame was. Yeah. That's so, the biggest difference, in my opinion. It's, yeah. not, it's, not a, it's not a roster issue in terms of talent. I think that they're probably at least comparable. I mean, I would say Michigan had a – pretty deep roster this year. I mean, there was a lot of guys that had played and like, if a Zach Zinner goes down, you had someone that could come in and, and cushion that blow. So it wasn't like a huge loss from one to two. Right. But I mean, overall, I think the rosters are somewhat comparable as far as level of talent. The difference is, is that Jim Harbaugh did a heck of a job. Sharon Moore did a heck of a job. Jesse Minter did a heck of a job. Like it was just a really well-coached team in a year where it wasn't a lot, it wasn't a great team. There were a bunch of good to very good mm-hmm. football teams, but overall, there wasn't the the differentiation in talent gap in some years. So Michigan won because they were better coached than Washington. They were better coached than Alabama. Like they were just a more a better overall coaching staff, in my opinion. I think that was the biggest difference maker. And they had a culture that everybody bought into. Yeah, that flat all out tough minded dudes. Everybody bought dudes. into it. Yep. yep. Like, I don't think there's going to be a lot of players off that Michigan team, especially offensively this year. They're like great NFL players. It's just going to be like, but Ryan, punch you, in the you mouth. said <laughs> something early in the year. Somebody yeah. was talking about Michigan's going to have like 19 players drafted. And your comment was they may not have a single guy go in the first round. They just have a lot of good players that can have play roles in the NFL. Yeah. And, and, you know, like they were, like you said, they were very experienced and very deep. Yes. And, um, but they were, but that's not why they won. They were, they, they didn't beat Bama because they had better roster than Bama did, in my opinion. No, they didn't beat Ohio them. State because they have a better roster than Ohio State. Their culture's better, they're tougher, and they are coached exceptionally well. It's Way simple tougher. as that. And they do have talent. I mean, they they didn't take a bunch of bums and turn them into dudes. They just have a bunch of good day three football players. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just like they're not – I mean, I think next year actually is going to have more stars in the draft, right? Like that's when Will Johnson's going to be there, Mason Grahams, like those guys. Like that's more where 
you're getting more high level draft picks than what you're getting this year. And and that's where their roster is very comparable to Notre Dame's, Ryan, because that's where kind of Notre Dame is. If you're going to talk about does Notre Dame have any potential day one, early day two players, the conversation is going to primarily be around your freshmen and sophomores. Right. And and that's kind of how Michigan was. You just mentioned two true sophomores right there that could be high draft picks. Um, yeah. You know, their, their veterans were just, you know, they got Josh Walsh from, from UMass. Who thought when when he signed with Michigan that that kid was going to be a starter opposite Will Johnson and uh, for teams going to win championship? No, nobody thought that. But they didn't ask him to be a star. He was a, you know, put him into a role, played to his strengths and did a great job coaching and through waves of defensive linemen at teams and, and everybody just did their job and did their job. Just little simple things like just being able to tackle in space. I mean, if, if Notre Dame tackles in space better against Ohio State, they win. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, Notre Dame's offense did a defense did a better job of holding Ohio State to fewer points and fewer yards than Michigan did. The difference is, is when the game was on the line, Michigan's defense stepped up and made stops and Notre Dame's didn't. I mean, it's stuff like that, right? I mean, fewer yards against Michigan or um, Notre Dame gave up fewer yards to Ohio State than Michigan did, fewer yards per play than Michigan did and held them to fewer points. Michigan won, Ohio State didn't, or, or, or Notre Dame didn't, because number one, Michigan's offense did what they needed to do when the game was on the line as well. And that's the other thing about Michigan, Ryan, is there were games they played this year where like, it wasn't sexy, and they benefited from playing a, from a very weak schedule. That helps. We can't deny that either. But the fact is, is in the in the games they played, they were the most, they were always the more physical team, or at least as physical as their opponent. They never got out physical. Can't say that about Notre Dame. We watched Notre Dame in back-to-back games against Duke and Louisville get their butt kicked in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball. That never happened to Michigan. They got outplayed sometimes, but they never got outfought and out hit. And that all comes down to culture and and, and toughness and and coaching and and buy-in. And Notre Dame didn't have as much as that of that this year. Simple as that. And uh, and they also had a quarterback that, when things were breaking down, could go make plays with his legs. And I'd say that's one of the big differences between Notre Dame and. In, in uh, Michigan, and something I'm excited about Notre Dame having moving forward. Very excited about that. We had a question from Rob Loba123. Do you th- guys think Marcus Freeman went with someone like Lauren Landau because he wanted his football team to put some, some more effort and energy into football practices than in the weight room? Bayless was too exhausting. Question. I don't think that's the case. I mean, Matt Bayless's strength program was not exhausting in season. It was exhausting out of season because that's how you build toughness and conditioning and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a there's an old school way of doing things and a new school way of doing things, but all of them are designed towards building mental toughness, physical toughness, and endurance. So you can play for 60, 70 snaps and repeat things over and over again. So I think Marcus Freeman went with someone like Lauren Lando because he believes in the philosophies that Lauren Lando believes in, but the end result's going to be the same. And from everything I've heard about from from people that I've talked to, and it's not a ton, there's no this. These are very very hard workouts. I mean, yeah, they are very hard workouts. I mean, they're not just go get your curls in and it's hey, let's go get a couple box squats in and then move on to the next. These are very hard out of season workouts. It's just there's a lot of you know you're just taking advantage of the new technology and some and some different emphasis on how to get to the same result. You know, and it's like, it's, it's no different than like, I run a spread, you run an air raid, you run a power eye, you know, there's the, the, you're hoping that the end result's the same, but we're going to get there differently. And I just think that the way Lauren Landau goes about it is just more in line with what coach Freeman believes in. But I, I also, again, I don't think 
Matt Bayless left because of Marcus Freeman didn't want him to be there anymore. There were other things that led to that. And I just think this is more in line with his philosophy. But I am not I am not going to stand by and and allow what I've seen some people try to do, which is try to to now let's pick nitpick the job Matt Bayless did. Matt Bayless did a phenomenal job as Notre Dame strength conditioning coordinator. Simple as that. Marcus Freeman is going in a different direction because for other reasons, Mark Matt Bayless isn't here anymore. And Matt Marcus Freeman's going to go with someone he believes can carry out his philosophy. But Matt Bayless did a phenomenal job at Notre Dame. Phenomenal job at Notre Dame as a strength coach. It's no coincidence that that Notre Dame was so much better in November and and when Matt Bayless came in than where they were before he got here. That's not a coincidence. And you talk to any Notre Dame player, the built by Bayless thing was real. And that came from the players. They had faith in it. And they knew it was hard. It was very hard workouts. But they believed in it. So I, I, I just, I don't agree with that aspect of it. Well, Falk says, what's y'all's take on this story about Kirk Herbstreet influencing Dylan Rayola's commitment? What sort of media ethical issues might be involved? I have not seen this story, so I don't know. I think this is way overblown. I, I just okay. think Kirk, I'm not a fan of Kirk Herbstreet, but I just think he's getting to be a little bit of a whipping boy for some people. And okay. He had nice things to say about Matt Rule and Nebraska program to Donovan's dad, oh. and people are turning it into something that it's not. He never said, "Flip to Nebraska, don't go to Georgia." It was never anything like that, from what I from what I can tell. I just think it's a uh, people are bored and people like tearing down other people, and and people are petty. That's what I think it is, from what I know of it. I could be wrong, and there could be a lot more to it than than what I know. But that's my that's my take on it. Jimmy Page with a. Super chat. Thank you so much. What changes can we expect under Mike Dembrock? Different zone scheme. We talked about more emphasis on inside zone. A lot more 11 personnel than we saw in the past. That's going to impact recruiting as well. We're not going to see seven-man scholarship tight end rooms anymore under Mike Dembrock. Um, you know, Pass scheme won't be like, oh my gosh, that's so much different than what they did. But at least at LSU and Cincinnati, there's a lot more post-snap uh, switch type stuff. You know, getting guys from one zone to another zone after the snap, not just have not being so vertically oriented with route concepts. Static. Yeah, a lot more yeah. overs, a lot more cra- crossers, a lot more th- high lows, a lot more things where this guy starts here and they do this and then do other type of things. And, and uh, you know... I think there's an. I've been talking about this for a while. You need that. I'm all for. Hey, four verts is a great play. Double posts, great concept, and those things are all fine. But when you're only doing that kind of stuff, it makes it so much easier for teams to kind of get get on you. And and so I think those will be some changes as well. Aggressive throwing the ball down the field, but not throwing it down the field a million times. So I mean, I, I do think we'll see some more aggressiveness down the field. But he's not going to be a throw it 95 times you know, past 20 yards kind of guy, but, uh, and, and a guy that's, that's going to implement a lot more read concepts and RPO concepts. I mean, even going back to Cincinnati, Mike Denbrock likes to run a lot of RPOs, a lot of read coming. They're going to run all different types of inside zone and, and read zone, zone lock RPOs off of it. I mean, I mean, they're just going to do a lot more of that stuff. So there's going to be a lot more decision-making for the quarterback, a lot more. Let me rephrase that. There's going to be a lot more options for the quarterback in this offense than there was before when it comes to handoff, RPO, read zone, keeps, throwing the ball, all that kind of stuff. 
I'm excited to see him utilize Riley Leonard's ability as a dual threat in this offense because I think Agreed. that they will be better. I mean, look, 2023, you can really do a ton with Sam Hartman in those areas, right? But like Mike Denbrock has a track record that he can take advantage of the dynamic ability of quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, you can even look at his time at Notre Dame. I mean, he got a lot out of Deshaun Kaiser as a runner as well, even in Notre Dame, even though he's not the runner that Riley Leonard is, for instance, right? So excited, man. Excited. Another one from Pete Weber. What's up, Pete? What are your top three simple pleasures in life? What are we defining as a simple pleasure? I feel like I have a lot of these. Uh, for me, I mean, just simple pleasure. Um, cooking for me is a is a very cathartic, just a not not a big deal, but for me, is something that's very um, um, very cathartic for me. Reading, I, I don't get to do it very very much, but reading. And here's another simple pleasure for me, Ryan that I very rarely get to do doing absolutely nothing. I used to just love to sit and just not have to think about something and just relax. And I don't get to do that very yeah. often anymore. So that's, I'm, I'm not a very complicated person. I don't, I don't have a lot of other things beyond that. I, I enjoy reading with my, with my three-year-olds at nights. So I think that that is very much enjoyable. I like snow. I like um, snowfalls. So just seeing like a snowfall outside and then three, I like to just go outside sometimes and just listen to all the bugs and birds making a little bit of chirp noises and all that type of stuff. Like I like the natural sound, I guess, is another simple pleasure. All right. The worst 2K big men HD. What are your thoughts of the Michigan? Wait, what are what are your thoughts of the Michigan? Are your thoughts and, is what we're supposed to say? The Michigan AD being in charge of the college football playoff. So Ward Manuel is named the head care. of the college football playoff. Yeah, I don't. I gave my opinion on. yesterday. I think it's ridiculous, uh, but it's not surprising at all. I mean, my thing is, Ryan, you have the guy who who is in charge of the program that's had how many investigations with the NCAA the last three, four sure. years, is now in charge of the college football playoff. It's just ridiculous, but it's it's for par for the course for the NCAA. I mean, for yeah. for for it's not because it's not. I shouldn't say the NCAA because the NCAA has nothing to do with the college football playoff. It's it's sure. par for the course for this this whole college football enterprise. It's just the whole thing is just stupid. Sam S, do you have more confidence that Riley Leonard will come to Notre Dame and be successful than you did Sam Hartman before he showed up? Yes. Yes. I, if people remember the the shows when it first kind of started breaking, I had a lot of hesitation about Sam yeah. Hartman. I really did. Riley Leonard, I don't have hesitation with Riley Leonard as a player. My only hesitation is Fern from he's coming off of an injury riddled year, yeah. right? So just being able to stay healthy and being able to acclimate that way. But if it if he's healthy, I am much more certain that Riley Leonard will be a better a better transition than what Sam Hartman was. Yes. Couple things. Number one is what this whole experience taught me is trust my gut more. So I was not very high on the Sam Hartman hire when it first got announced either, Ryan. And and I kept saying this guy got mad at me on Facebook because I said he's a system quarterback. I mean, and and I don't know that he can thrive outside of that system, but I, I talked myself into it's gonna work. I did. And sure. shouldn't have. I still think it should have been better than it was. I mean, that, that's the other part. It, it should have been better than it was. Uh, and I don't think it's all Sam Hartman's fault. I mean, there's other things that happened this year that that he can't control. Riley Leonard, to me, outside of all that, you're, you're getting a guy, to me, that can do more when things just aren't – like the thing about college football, Ryan, is I don't care how smart you are, it's not always going to go how you drew it up. Sure. A, a decent amount of the time, it's not going to go how you drew it up. 
do you have a quarterback that can still make plays when that happens? Make and the wrong the reality is, yeah. Yep. And they didn't have that this year. Sam couldn't do that as a thrower. He couldn't do that as a decision maker, and he couldn't do that as a runner. And and I think Riley can at least at least at the very least do that in one of those areas with his legs. And, and I think can do can do some other things as well. So yeah, and 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 look, Jack Cohn was a great portal pickup in my opinion. He did a very good job for Notre Dame. Sam Hartman didn't work out as much. I, what I what I don't want and, and Sam's not doing this, but there's a lot of people that well, Sam didn't work out, so Riley won't work out. That's ridiculous. Yeah, just ridiculous. It's like the helmet um, scouting for Ohio State quarterbacks. Like, oh, CJ Stroud can't be good because they've had a string of bad. It's because like, All right, that's lazy. Dwayne that's Haskins lazy. wasn't good, or you know, it's like okay, those are different people. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, they're different players. And the other thing is, is Ryan, you and I have been high on Riley Leonard from the first times you saw them. You told me to watch them. Yeah. I then watched them, and it's like, okay, this kid can ball. We didn't have to talk yep. ourselves into Sam Hartman's fit. Also, to me, I'm I'm even more confident in Riley Leonard's ability to transition now than I was when Riley Leonard first committed. The reason why is I think Jared Parker wanted to run an offense that would have fit Riley Leonard. I know that Mike Denbrock does because I've seen him do it at three schools. This yeah. isn't just like, they oh, look what they do with Jaden Daniels. No, they did it with Jaden Daniels. They did it with... Uh, Desmond, Desmond Ritter, and they did it with Deshaun Kaiser, and he did it with Ever Golson, and he did it with with Malik Zaire. I've seen him do it plenty of times. That's who he is, and yep. I think that Riley Leonard benefited greatly. Will Howard and Riley Leonard both benefited greatly from OC changes at the schools after they committed, in my opinion, and as and for Notre Dame especially. I think I think the move from Park, and this is no disrespect to Parker, because again, I, I think Parker wanted to do certain things that would have fit Riley Leonard. That's why they went after Riley Leonard and Deuce Knight, right? But we didn't actually see it. It was sure. theory. It's what we were told. With Mike Denbrock, why do I believe what I believe? Why does Ryan believe what he believes? Because we watch film and we've seen it for years. And that's why I'm excited about it. I am. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, this one kind of relates to that. Luke Breeding says, how much 21 and 22 personnel do you expect to see this year? Very little 22. I do think we'll see some 21. I don't know how much of it, but I do think we'll see some 21. But Mike Denbrock's going to use a lot more 11 personnel than he has in the past. But I also think he's going to use 12 personnel more than he did at LSU. He actually used a decent amount of 12 personnel at Cincinnati, Ryan, with Leonard Taylor yeah, and Josh White. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He didn't have that at LSU. So they were a heavy 11 personnel team this year. I think it'll be a happy medium between what Notre Dame has been with 12 personnel and Mm -hmm. what LSU was with 12 personnel. I think Notre Dame now with Mike Denbrock is going to be kind of right in the middle because Mike Denbrock's not an idiot. He's going to look at Mitchell Evans and Eli Raritan and Cooper Flanagan and say, those are three really good football players. I got to find ways to use all of them beyond just rotate one guy, three guys for one spot. So I think we'll see more of that. Same thing at running back. Because at, at, at LSU, all of his running backs were just kind of pure running backs. He didn't have a Jeremiah Love type that he could kind of use in a different way. And so I think he'll take advantage of that. Is it, Are they going to run 12 snaps of 21 personnel a game? No, I don't. Do I think they'll use 21 personnel to kind of te- keep throw teams off? And, and yeah, I do. Same thing with 12 personnel. But but the one big one of the big differences, as I said before, is we're going to see a lot more 11 personnel than we've seen in the past. And I also know that because that's what he did in Notre Dame. 
They ran right. a ton of 11 personnel. They were like 80-something percent 11 personnel at Notre Dame the last time Mike Denbrock was here. I dig um, it. Yeah. Especially if you know how to use it. Right? I mean, that's the thing, Ryan, is you got to know how to use it. And I and he he's done a pretty good job of that. Orchard 452 says PJ Fleck is a name that's been floated for the UCLA job. Would you leave Minnesota for UCLA given their current situations? Uh, my, my impulse is no. Although I think Minnesota is a very like you have an easy ceiling on a Minnesota job. Like I just don't think that Minnesota is ever going to be like a perennial 10 win team. Like I just don't ever see that. I just wouldn't leave what he's built as far as stability for what UCLA is going to have short term. I just don't know if that would be a good decision personally. I think the only thing I would say, Ryan, I, I wouldn't care to live in either area in either state. So it's not like it's a, you know, I've always been kind of anti-California, but I wouldn't necessarily want to live in Minnesota either. Um, but the one, the one thing I would have to think about, because I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, is the expectations at UCLA are going to are going to be somewhat lower because, um. Because of what you said, they they have to know that he's inheriting a bad roster. It's just part of the reason they sure. want to they want Chip Kelly out. So there'll be a, a little bit of patience, but I just I don't know that that's the move. I, I think PJ Fleck is more um, style than he is substance. I think he's the opposite of Chip Kelly. I think Chip Kelly is a lot of substance, but not any no no style to speak of as far as how he portrays himself. And I think he's just I'm coaching football right? PJ is all about the row the boat and the persona and sprinting across the field and, and the substance isn't as good. Right. And, and so, you know, PJ Fleck, it's a lot of it to me is an act and that'd be perfect to be in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, he knows the big 10 too. I, I don't know. I, I don't think either of them are necessarily phenomenal jobs, but to me, I'd probably want the UCLA job over the Minnesota job if if it was up to me. I just don't know that PJ Fleck could succeed at UCLA. I don't know that he's a good enough coach to win there because I I do think you got to be a pretty good football coach to win at UCLA because you're not going to get the same support you're going to get at other places. You got to be a pretty darn good football coach. Yeah. So for it's UCLA, just, I wouldn't make the move. For PJ yeah. Fleck, I would. Yeah, I mean PJ is also just a. I was looking it up and he's just a. He's a Midwest guy. I mean he was grew up in Illinois. He coached at Western Michigan. He coached at Rutgers. I know that's not Midwest, but still North. But I mean know, it's Eastern. it's a lot closer than yeah. going from Minnesota to California. I think the only time he's been out of the the North, he's a Northern guy. How about that? He's a Northern, northern guy. guy. He went to Tampa Bay, uh, right? With the Buccaneers. The that's it. Yeah, yeah. But that was with Shiano, wasn't it? Or no? I'm Did not he coach sure about with that. I can look so sure. um, I, I'm probably wrong on that because actually now I think about it, he was he was already I don't know I'd have to go back and look at that but anyway the point is you might be right yeah I, I don't know I don't know how yeah to your, but I think his personality would fit somewhat out there I just don't think he's that good of a football coach and I've been banging that drum for a long time I could be wrong but I've been banging it for a, ever since Notre Dame fans started talking about what about PJ Fleck oh no thank you. All right, last two, Ryan, and then we're going to be done. Let's get to this one from Archer. I'm going to ask this one, Ryan, because this is for you. Archer452 says, Ryan, D'Amico Ryan's missed out on the coach of the year by one vote. Do you think he deserved it over Kevin Stefanski? Probably. 
Yeah. I mean, I think D'Amico did more with a questionable roster coming in than what Stefanski did. I mean, Cleveland actually has a pretty good roster overall. I mean, there's a reason that they've had a couple good years in the last few, right? I mean, like they have, I know Deshaun Watson, you know, got hurt and it's been a little bit of a disaster, but you know, you still have a good offensive line. You still have a pretty good defense. I mean, like it's a not a bad roster. And I think also the, the, the AFC North outside of Baltimore, you had a year where, you know, it's a little bit down with a couple of oh, other Joe squads, Burrow. right? So, right. yeah, no Joe Burrow. And then, you know, Pittsburgh's been down for a couple of years. Like, they just haven't been quite as good as they have been. I mean, they're still not a bad team, but they're a scrappy team, like to just put it nicely. I think the Nico, I mean, like, I expected Houston to maybe go like five and 12. Six and eleven, like something like that, and the fact that you took them to a playoffs in year one, I, I think that that was probably more, slightly more deserving. I do think Kevin Stefanski did a pretty good job when you consider you lost to Sean Watson, you ended up having to, you know, dust Joe Burrow's carcass off of a off of a dumpster there, right? Like that was pretty impressive. But overall, I would say that I probably would have voted for Demico, in my opinion. Do you think that it's a lot of this just has to do with the fact that the whole storyline of winning without Deshaun and all that kind of stuff, and then yeah, getting bouncing back from a rough start and all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Joe Flacco won the, the comeback player of the year, and it's just like it's, it's a story. I, right? I like, loved you know I mean? his answer to that. I loved his answer to whether or not he should have won the comeback player of the year. Did you see that that interview? No. no. So they asked him if he should be. The, he goes, "What did I come back from?" He goes, "I, I came back from not being on a team for a." couple months you know he's like he started talking about like demar hamlin he had to come back from something you know what i mean like he's like what exactly did i come back exactly (laughs) right you know and and i thought it was a great answer and he was being totally genuine with it he's like i didn't come back from anything i just wasn't on a team you know what i mean he's talking about like you know these guys it's more so like guys you had to come back from an injury or or these other things and there's just a whole lot of different aspects but it was it was just a great answer it's just like what am i coming back from like, no, more Hamlin had to come back from something. That that right. was legit. Houston also smacked Cleveland in the playoffs. Maybe it was a little bit of, you know, oh, yeah, they, they smacked them, so we'll give something to Stefanski for this one. So. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. All right. Ryan, actually, that's going to do it because we have Ivan Nation Sports Talk is going to start. be starting here in about three minutes. So we're going to go ahead and wrap okay. this up and uh, let those guys get going here at five. They're going to be doing a rapid fire tonight, so you definitely want to join that. So, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and take us out of here, man? All right, folks, appreciate it. Make sure before you leave, hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, hit that notification bell on YouTube. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to leave a five-star review and make sure that you're subscribed over there as well. You can go to boards.irspectown.com. We have a lot of team and recruiting intel and pieces that are coming out. You can also check out the free stuff at irishbreakdown.com. That's Brian Driscoll. I'm Ryan Roberts. So we appreciate you all for the continued support. And we'll check you guys next time on the Irish Breakdown podcast. RTCF tomorrow. Be on the lookout.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.